Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. So it's uh, it's a real pleasure uh, to share the evening with uh, Barbara Gates, um, who many of you probably know. Uh, certainly, many of you know what she has put so much uh, love and time and energy into for so many years. <coughs> Barbara was the co-editor of uh, The Inquiring Mind, uh, along with uh, Wes Nisker, uh, Alan Ovidor, who Jane mentioned uh, at the break, um, was um, the publisher of The Inquiring Mind, um, for 30 years. 31 years. 31 years, <laughs> who's counting? Yeah, Putting out twice a year a top-notch uh, piece of Dharma journalism. Um, and Barbara's also a writer who's uh, written... What was the name for your... Already Home. Oh, uh, Already Home, yes. A beautiful book. And uh, in each issue of Inquiring Mind, uh, Barbara would uh, write her own pieces, um, personal and universal at the same time. And uh, she's, as I said before, uh, gotten involved in uh, engagement, particularly these times, um, getting involved in voter registration and um, getting uh, people expressing their caring and concern for uh, the direction that uh, our society seems to be going. Um, and she's doing it as part of her Dharma practice, as she'll maybe share with you. Um, Barbara is currently in the Buddhist chaplaincy program that Gil Fronstel um, leads uh, down at uh, Insight Meditation Center in, um, in the peninsula. And usually the the chaplaincy program is about meeting people, uh, being with people in times of deep suffering and uh, health issues and end-of-life issues. Uh, and it's really about, yeah, tending to suffering. And Barbara uh, decided that her practice would be tending to suffering uh, on a more... Um, societal and uh, political level as well. So this is her chaplaincy project, voter registration and um, engaged practice. So I wanted to invite her here to explore that together in the Dharma context. Um, and I thought that we could have a little bit of a dialogue and also then open it up to conversation with all of us. 
But before we get into that theme, I wanted to have us explore and hear a little bit about the roots of Barbara's practice. Um, she's been practicing for a long time, and her first meditation teacher was John Kabat-Zinn before he ever got into mindfulness-based stress reduction, before it was even anything, more than it wasn't even an idea at that What's point. That? What's that? No, it wasn't. Where, and, and when John was first getting into sharing yoga as a yoga teacher and then doing a little bit of meditation. Uh, and Barbara and John were good friends. And when he started to get into this meditation stuff, she said, oh, could you share it with me? So she was actually one of his first actual students as a friend and uh, why don't you just share a little bit about those early years? You were telling okay. me the other day, I said, well, people should know about this. So that might be fun to start with. Well, I was living in Cambridge, um, Massachusetts, and uh, John, whose name at that point was Johnny Cabot, he hadn't met Myla Zinn yet, so he hadn't taken on the Zinn um, uh, was a friend. We used to hang out together in Harvard Square and go to bookstores. And, um, and he also taught yoga in Harvard Square, I think, on, on weekends. And I went to some of those classes. And then uh, uh, I, had, I was an idealistic young teacher, and I had started a school, a community school with other um, uh, kind of zealous uh, young people from Harvard and MIT, and and um, uh, we worked with mostly juvenile delinquents, you know, second story men, car thieves, um, and John came actually and taught at the school. We caught co-taught together a class called Beginnings and Endings. Um, where he did the Big Bang, and I talked about myths. And it was at that time that I asked him if he would teach me how to meditate. And I was living in a commune at the time. He came over at like 4.30 in the morning before he went off to teach at the um, Cambridge Zen Center. He was a um, student of Sun Sanim, who you, some of you may know or have, may have practiced with many years ago, a Korean Zen master. Anyway, he taught me how to sit on the floor of my, you know, uh, bedroom uh, uh, in a commune in Cambridge, and that's how I got started. And he sent me to Joseph Goldstein and Jack Cornfield, and uh, was, the rest is history. That, that was, was 1975. 75. Yeah. So you had personal. Uh, meditation instructions at 4.30 in the morning from John Kabat-Zinn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, that's where he, he learned how to teach. Huh? Well, he was also, well, you could make that up, but it, really he, he was teaching at the Cambridge Zen Center as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, so you then started doing retreats uh, in the mid-70s with uh, Joseph and... Yeah, and well, I, in, in, I went to Naropa, and practiced with Joseph Goldstein. Seventy-seven. Mm-hmm. Um, in seventy-seven. I was there too. Yeah, and uh, uh, 
Yeah, and then I, I, I drove out in my little, you know, red VW bug, and then I just kept on driving and ended up, you know, came to California. Mm-hmm. And, and then uh, uh, how did it end up that you became the editor of Inquiry? Well, um, I used to come, after I went on my first retreats with Joseph, I met James, who had been at the very first retreat I went on. James was the manager in Santa Rosa. And um, I started coming to his sangha, which was in the Harwood House. Mm-hmm. And uh, after one of those, you know, evenings, um, I think I think after a hot tub, after one of those evenings, um, Wes Nisker... We had a hot tub in our house. Yeah. It was, it was uh, you know, Caldwell Banker? I'm sure you've heard of Caldwell yeah. Banker. Well, we lived, Jane and I lived along with Wes Nisker and uh, a few other amazing people. Shoshana mm-hmm. Alexander, my co-writer for Awakening Joy. We lived in Mr. Banker's house, mm-hmm. um, which had a hot tub in the back and... Yeah. Uh, uh, Eight bedrooms and uh, uh, mm-hmm. five bathrooms, and it was cool. And we all got along, which was yeah. really the most amazing thing. And was really uh, well, Harwood House. I don't know if I mentioned it here. Was really where um, yeah. Spirit Rock was born because yeah. we would have all the visioning meetings. Jack and and others mm-hmm. would come over, and we would just uh, think about building the center together. Yeah, so I was, I came to your classes, and then, um, one night, uh, Joseph Gold, uh, no, I think it was, uh, Wes Nisker turned to me or called across the, the room and said, Hey, Joseph asked me to start a, a journal, uh, you know, a Vipassana journal. Would you like to do that with me? That was at Harwood House, and I said, Yeah, that sounds great. And, um, I was a high school teacher at the time. And and uh, so that's how it got started. And uh, just reflections. Now it's now been what two or three years since the last yeah. issue. Um, just reflections about your time putting out all of that amazing it, good dharma. It was an amazing. You know, for me, it was. Uh, I can't imagine a uh, vocation. You know, more satisfying and inspiring because we had the opportunity to interview and edit the words of so many wise uh, teachers and practitioners. Um, And so for me, working on it, you know, provided uh, spiritual guidance and as well as, uh, uh, you know, deep teaching, because I don't know if anyone here has ever done any editing you'll know that in order to be a good editor, you really have to channel the people you're editing. So if you work on a book of the Dalai Lamas, um, which I have done, you have to really get inside of that mind in order to uh, do a skillful job. So it was incredible to all the people. You know, Thich Nhat Hanh, we interviewed three or four times, uh, Ajahn Amaro, Ajahn Pasano, uh, uh, I could go on and on. You know, all, Surya Das. All, all, the, all the really wise, inspiring teachers. Yeah. In the ja- Sharon Salzberg. Uh, you know, so many wise people. 
my only regret is we were offered an interview with Pema Chodron way, way back, and I didn't know, I thought, oh, I don't know, Wes and I didn't really know who she was. We didn't do it, and that, that was a lost, a lost chance to meet a very wise teacher. But, the one that got away. Yeah. Uh, and um, what was the book with the Dalai Lama? Um, the Art of Happiness. I thought so. Yeah. So what did you do in that? That's one of the um, Well, there were about 800 or 1,000 pages, and uh, Rana Kabatnik and I took those and turned them into, I forget how many it ended up being, but it was, you know, let's say 300 pages. Mm. So we had to do a lot of, uh, you had to, we had to figure out what was essential. So just as you're saying it, before we get into this topic, just want to take a moment to um, take in all the really amazing good work that you've done that have has come through you and touched thousands and thousands and thousands of practitioners. And I hope you really get the wholesomeness of your actions as the Buddha recommends. Thank you. Thank you. Well, maybe your words will support me in doing that more fully. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good. So, here you are, this chaplaincy project mm-hmm. of engagement. Share a little bit about how that came to your yeah. your mind and how it's gone. Well, um, I wanted to, a- after the election, I wanted to get involved in, in some way, um, uh, not just, you know, fundraising or you know, signing petitions, but I wanted to uh, do something active. And I heard about um, something called Swing Left, and I didn't really know what it was, except that I knew that they were working, you know, in the Central Valley and all across the United States, trying to, um, in local elections, flip from red to blue. And um, I didn't know if I could do that. And I, um, but my husband and I went to a meeting somewhere in Berkeley, and the very first thing that the woman, young woman said when she started the meeting is what we do is 70% listening. And I just woke up. I thought, that's for me. I remember turning to Patrick and saying, this sounds really good. Um, Because, of course, listening, that's another way of talking about being mindful, being attentive. Uh, You know, what we've been training on the cushion for all these years. So um, I, you know, went to that meeting and I went to a number of training sessions um, where we were learning, you know, really learning how to listen to people and also learning how to listen to people who had the opposite perspectives from the ones that we had. And that was really interesting to me. It's not really what we're doing with Swing Left, but it interested me a lot. How do you talk with somebody in a kind and attentive way, who has the opposite point of view from your own, and can you can you find a place to meet that person? And um, so, uh, you know, I 
actually, you know, talk to a number of Trump supporters. That's not really part of what we're doing in this canvassing, but it's something where I really wanted to learn. I wanted to learn um, why these people thought in ways that were different from mine. And um, it was actually interesting because the first time I did that, I thought I was doing a really good job. And I came here to the monastery because one of my favorite teachers is Ajahn Pasano, and he was having his tea. And I asked him, how do you think um, that, you know, what's the best way to talk to somebody who has a point of view which is the opposite of your own? And he talked about listening, and I was patting myself on the back and thinking, oh, you know, well, I did that, and I, I can do that. And then he said, but of course, you don't just listen to the other person. You have to continuously listen to yourself. And of course, that's where the Dharma practice comes in. And I hadn't even thought of that, you know. So that changed the way I was doing my, uh, you know, listening uh, when I went back out to Tracy to do canvassing and talk to people about what mattered to them, that I was listening to what mattered to them, but um, paying attention all at the same moment, each moment also to how I was responding. You know, and how did, how did that affect the, uh, the interaction as you did? Well, I think that, um, one, I... I was able to catch myself when I was um, uh, involved with my own image. You know, the, you know, ex- doing exactly what I said I did before, which is, hmm, I'm doing a good job. You know, I'm really listening to this person. Well, any time that you bring that kind of self-congratulation or self-involvement with your image then you can't really hear what somebody else is saying. You know, and you can't really learn, you know, and they can't really grow through you, not fully. So that, that was a profound, uh, teaching, you know, that, that, um, Ajahn Pasano passed on. And it's affected me, not always, because often one gets, you know, involved and, and forgets to be aware, but, it certainly um, has um, affected the way I listen to people mm-hmm. and so, and listening to myself. So when you're when you're speaking, and, and we've we've talked about this a bit, you know, it was the first time I went out just uh, last weekend in Tracy and with my clipboard, and uh, you you ask questions and you're taking a little bit of a survey and what what. Uh, Issues are of interest to you in different ways to engage. Um, and it, as friendly as I am, it wasn't so easy. It, it's a real stretch to just stop someone cold out, outside of Starbucks and right. say, oh, excuse me, and you've got a clipboard in your hand, so you know probably how you walk down the street mm-hmm. when you see somebody with a clipboard in your hand and you might go around <laughs> Cry, the other right. way. Or, you know. So it's not like they're saying, oh, great, I get to talk with you. But you have been kind of a master at it, uh, the way uh, the success rate that you've had was like really 
uh, impressive. So it sounds like really listening and being interested. Curiosity. I mean, I think, you know, you, I'm sure you've heard James and other Dharma teachers um, uh, encourage you to uh, be curious, to be curious about your own mind, to be curious about pain or sensation or emotion, whatever comes up when you're sitting on the cushion. Well, the same is true um, when you're doing canvassing, you know, to uh, really uh, hone that curiosity because people can feel that if you are genuinely interested in what matters to them. And that's how I frame what we're doing when we're canvassing. We're... we're, um, uh, engaging people in uh, a conversation about what matters to them, and it might be that they don't even consciously know what completely what matters to them. So it's not just a matter of me learning what matters to somebody so I can write it, you know, check it off on the clipboard, but they might be learning what matters to them, just like you might, if you had an interview with James, you might learn something about your own uh, process or your own mind or your own uh, values, which you didn't know that you knew. You know, it's, it's interesting. And just to share with uh, what comes to my mind is the most satisfying conversation I had uh, last, last weekend when I went was with this fellow who, when I asked him, what he thought about things, and he said, "Oh, I don't, I don't like it at all." And I said, "Oh well, are you registered to vote?" And he said, um, "No, I'm not. I, I've not voted. Uh, I've, I've never voted." And I said, "Really?" He said, "Yeah, I'm a, I'm a felon. I'm a convicted felon." And I said, "You know, you can vote." Yeah. And he said, "I, I know, yeah. but I don't, I don't know." He, he he hadn't made the leap to mm-hmm. actually registering, although he really wished that things would change. And he was going through this internal discussion with himself as right. he was as he was talking to me. He said yeah, he became interested. I said, here's the form. I said, mm-hmm. I'll help you fill it out. He wasn't quite ready to do that. Uh, I said, "It does if you take mm-hmm. it, but why not have your voice heard? Mm-hmm. You, I can see right. you really care. And we, we were talking for a good five minutes. Yeah, that's great. Which is a long time. Yeah. And... Um, he just felt that he was picking up. I really cared about him finding his voice mm-hmm. more than somebody that I can check off yeah. on my, oh, exactly. here's a chance. I, as a, you know, we were talking about we need to hear your voice, mm-hmm. your caring voice. Your voice counts. And I was so interested and wanting to bring that out of him and he really thanked me he said i'm going to think about this That's and good. do it that made my whole day of course actually yeah. uh so anyway i 
I just really appreciate your curiosity and interest. Uh, That's I, actually just listening to you talk about that is really moving because who knows, you know, the next time somebody, he sees somebody who looks sort of like you with another clipboard or maybe the third time, you know, he will register to vote. And it was interesting at the end of the day when people, um, there were 30 of us out there last Saturday, one man said that the first person that he registered was somebody who had been a felon. And who knows? They may have talked to some other Jameses for a couple of weeks before they got to a point where... So, in fact, that some other felon did register. And I, I didn't realize that a felon could register in California because it's different in each state. Yeah. So let me ask you, when you meet somebody who has a different perspective on things, mm-hmm. who really has a strong different perspective mm-hmm. on things, how do, you, how do you work with the judgments that might come up in the mind or the, uh, the frustrations or the... Well, I think it's that. the curiosity that makes all the difference because I'm still trying to understand how somebody could have, a, you know, some of the perspectives that some of the people I've talked to have. In fact, I got really interested in it. I read a book by a woman, Arlie Hochschild, who uh, teaches in the, the sociology department here at Cal, and she, you know, she she spent five years in the bayou getting to know, she calls them her um, uh, tea party friends. And I was really interested just in how, you know, how do, how do people think? What matters to them? What makes them tick? So one interest and two sense of humor. I think that goes a long way because, I mean, I, you know, to acknowledge with somebody, hey, you know, we really have different points of view and to have some lightness about that as opposed to getting uh, locked into uh, some kind of a, a difference or argument. I haven't ever gotten into an argument with anybody. I've just tried to hear, you know, hear what they said and then say, well, you know, there is a different. There was one woman I talked to quite a long time a, Vietnamese um, immigrant who who was a Trump supporter, and um, I asked her where she got her news at some point because she had all kinds of crazy things that she believed, you know. And so I, you know, at, at some point I su- suggested, well, you might, you know, in addition to Fox News, you might try out CNN or MSNBC. I don't know if she ever will, but but we got along pretty well and. Um, uh, I think uh, to have some sense of humor goes a long way. Uh, another Dharma curiosity. Mm-hmm. We're often so concerned with uh, being accepted and approved, or like that. How and if it's, I, I would imagine you have your share of people who say. No, I yeah. don't want to go there, and are rejected. And uh, oh, I know what the, I. I just thought of another principle that I that I brought to this, which also comes from practice, which is that um, you know, when you sit down on a cushion and you're going to be sitting there for an hour or going on a retreat or whatever, you you know you give wholeheartedly to what you're doing, but you 
are not attached to results, or hopefully you're not attached to results. That's one of the, you know, because you get in trouble when you're attached to a certain result. So I think I bring that to any in, um, engagement on the street, that um, I, I, I'm wholehearted, as wholeheartedly present as I can be, bringing that curiosity and kindness and sense of humor or whatever, and then, um, you know, not to be attached to results. And, and I mean, I like it if people, I want people to, you know, uh, to register or what I'm more even interested, what I'm interested also in engaging local people to volunteer and do what I'm doing. So I have certain intentions or goals, but not to be um, attached to whether it works out that day. Like you might not register anybody that day or you might not get, you know, Certainly, you might. You are very unlikely to uh, get that Trump voter to open her or his mind. Mm-hmm. So, and how do you deal with and not attachment, not attached to the results? Is there a place in you that's gotten better at being rejected? Uh, well. Not not with my friends, you know, but but on the streets of Tracy, I can handle it. I mean, because I did a lot of phone banking also, and people can be really vile, you know, when you when you do phone banking. And so I've I've definitely had people swear at me and say horrible things, you know, about you know Hillary Clinton or whatever it is. And I don't know. I just so that doesn't bother me. Actually, it doesn't. It didn't bother me when I was a high school teacher either. It, it bothers me in my personal relations with friends and relatives, but not not in those situations. For whatever reason, I don't know why. Mm. You know, one, one of the reasons that I wanted to have you here um, is that uh, I think in these coming years, one of the most important things that we'll be needing to do is understand understand each other. Yeah. Especially when people think differently from you. There are some people that it's 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 gonna be uh, wasted energy to try to convince, but to but to really listen and understand when somebody has a, a basically good Goodwill and is not mean spirited. Um, this is something that uh, I think is going to be vital in these next years. So, oh, I was—I thought of something else as you were talking about that, um, which is that um, uh, you know I've been going once a month to this chaplaincy class um, with Gil Fransdale, and we're learning—you know—a lot. A lot of the people in the class are working in a hospice or hospitals or some in the prisons. In fact, we're going to San Quentin next week on a field trip. And um, uh, and we're being taught skills for being a chaplain. Well, my, this is a kind of strange chaplaincy, but Gil was game. And, it's, and, and I found that some of the um, skills, you know, like one of the things that um, we... We, we've been taught to do as chaplains is to um, pay attention to our own assumptions and, um, you know, to question our own assumptions. 
um, you know, like when you come into a hospital room or a, whatever it is. Well, um, maybe the third time that I went out on the street in Tracy, I was talking to a young person and um, who I assumed was a, a young a Lat- Latino uh yeah, a, yeah, a young man, a young Latino man. Anyway, as the conversation evolved, it turned out that um, uh, it was sort of a turning point in our conversation when um, uh, the person told me that, in fact, he was um, uh, just about to have surgery and that he was transgender. And then it turned out I, I mean, I, it was one assumption after another where I had been mistaken in what I thought um, about this person. And as we, you know, pursued the conversation, it finally turned out that um, they weren't registered. And so actually that was, um, you know, and so ended up, you know, registering to vote. And... Um, I had made assumptions about the Latino background and his, and their family and the language I should use and all, you know, just, I had had one mistaken assumption after another. And I think that's, you know, that's a lesson, uh, that we learn as, you know, in chaplaincy training. That's certainly, um, a lesson that you are learning all the time, I'm sure, you know, in, practicing dharma you know that to question your assumptions because probably most of them are not accurate Mm -hmm. and actually um i read your piece on that barbara has oh yeah has a blog um about this uh, about her work uh, as a Engaged chaplain. Yeah. What, what's the name of the? Uh, you know, it's Barbara Gates. Gates. Net, yeah. and then your blog Come. on that. Yeah, um, and and one after another, just kind of um, fascinating lessons that you're getting from from doing this. Uh, it's really really wonderful. Um, so, thought maybe we could just uh, open it up if there's any questions or anything you want to bring up about. Uh, about this, uh, about this work, and uh, uh, that might be relevant both to practice and uh, practical um, effects on our society. Anything that comes to mind that you're curious about? I was really interested to hear you uh, speak about the assumptions we make about people, which, of course, is a very valuable skill that we can hone really finely about what to expect from a person who's dressed a certain way and so on. You know, how do you tell a homeless person from a person that has a car? So uh, I would welcome anybody's ideas about how to overcome that. Um, as as if I could just hear the voice and not even the quality of the voice, but rather just the words somehow to to try to 
perceive the person as they are inside rather than the outside. Well, I think it um, it does a lot of it ha- has to do with what uh, you know Ajahn Pasano suggested, which is that you continue to uh, not only listen to whoever you're speaking with, but that you continue to listen to yourself and your own your own responses, your own uh, uh, discomforts, and uh, you know, and 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 to actually ask yourself what you're assuming about somebody you're talking to, whether they're a homeless person or a felon you meet on the streets of Tracy, or or somebody who, uh, you know, some seeming young man who 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 isn't or whatever. You know, I, it, it reminds me um, a number of years ago uh, when I was doing the. Dharma leader uh, training uh, at Spirit Rock, and I invited uh, Mickey Cashton, who's one of the main nonviolent communicator uh, trainings uh, trainers, come in and speak to the group uh, about skillful communication. And she said, "Well, it's one thing to be able to communicate skillfully, but the real." practice is in how you hear. Mm-hmm. And as she went on to explore, she was saying, if you have any kind of judgments or assumptions or preconceived ideas about how you know who this person is, um, you won't really hear them. But if even... It's a difficult conversation if underneath what they say you can hear their pain or their loneliness or their confusion. If you can hear what's underneath the words to that deeper level then there's going to be a connection right. that both of you are going to feel. It was really great teaching. And what I've found true, besides the content you were saying about just listening to the words, um, when I'm speaking with someone, uh, I'm also as much tuning into their energy Mm-hmm. Of where they are, and I remember, I think I put it, I put it in uh, Awakening Joy. This Morabian um, rule of communication that in communication around feelings, seven percent is about the content of the words. Thirty-eight mm-hmm. percent. Um, this is at least in this sociological study. This is a. F- It's a famous rule, the Morabian rule, Albert Morabian, a social scientist. 38% is voice inflection, and 55% is body language. Right. So it's kind of interesting if you tune in on an energetic Mm -hmm. level rather than a content level, then you can hear and feel Mm -hmm. what's really going on 
perhaps right. inside, uh, even if they're not particularly wanting right. to connect. So if you can hear, say, with the, the heart of, of uh, Kuan Yin or right. of a, a, a compassionate, wise being, mm-hmm. sometimes I do that just, oh, how would the Dalai Lama handle this? Mm-hmm. You know, this person right. that I feel like. Oh, right. Oh, it was actually a turning point in my own uh, metta practice when I was doing metta mm-hmm. for a difficult person. And they were really a a decent human being, but just at times very difficult and difficult for me. And I was doing loving kindness for a few days. They were the difficult category. You know, mm-hmm. May you be safe. May you be mm-hmm. happy. Ooh, but... And then it occurred to me, what happened was I just... The Dalai Lama did come into my mind. And uh, I had this image of... Each person, uh, that the Dalai Lama was in a line, receiving line, and each one was giving him a kata, one of the, mm-hmm. the uh, uh, scarves, prayer scarves, and presenting it to him. And one by one, there were, they were coming, and I was imagining what it would be like to be on that rece- mm-hmm. in that receiving to be the Dalai Lama in mm-hmm. the receiving line. And it, this is in my mind as I'm doing my loving-kindness phrases. And lo and behold, out of the corner of my eye, I see the difficult person. <laughs> and just taking each scarf, yes, and there she is. And as the Dalai Lama, all that came out was, oh, so nice to know you. <laughs> and all of a sudden, my heart opened. Mm-hmm. And it was, I remember that moment. Oh, yes. And you're, a, the words I think came to mind, oh, and you're a Buddha too. Mm-hmm. So it was so clear that it's what I bring to the conversation right. even more than what is coming at right. me. And I think that, that I love that teaching that you ha- were, were um, addressing before when you talked about the nonviolent communications teacher of listening to what's underneath, you know, what you know, whatever you're receiving through body language or whatever. And I, I, th- I think you know what you said about loneliness is really. Um, I think so many people are lonely, you know, and I, that was one of the, I wrote, one of the blogs I wrote was called All the Lonely People, but I really felt like when, you know, when you're doing this canvassing and talking to people, that you, it, there's some way that you can, it's possible to connect with, um, you know, their common humanity through that you know, touching that lonely place, you know, meeting that lonely place, you know, or, you know, that place of not being seen, not being heard, feeling, and and really tuning into that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I mean, we all want to be happy. We want to yeah. be safe. We want to be seen. We want to feel like we belong. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that commonality that you can tune into. Uh, yes, over here, Jane. 
Um, I have uh, two questions, one really quick and maybe easy. Um, so what if you're conversing with someone who's really an ardent, bigoted, something, you know, whatever, um, clearly not on the verge of voting a way that you would like to vote. Do you give them a well, uh, offer to register them? No. Well, actually, what, the way it's set up is that um, y- uh, there's a kind of preliminary question that you ask people. That, this is the way they've set up their script, where you ask, how do you think things are going under the current administration? If they say things are going great, we are encouraged to say, thank you very much, have a good day. And don't con- you don't continue the conversation. One time somebody came up to me and he had on a big Trump sweatshirt and I think he knew that I was doing voter registration. And he said, you don't want to register me, do you? Or something. And um, I said, you know, and he had me in this, the, the sweat. And I said, well... Um, I guess you picked up. I am connected with the Tracy Democrats. Um, but even more than uh, being a Democrat, I believe in democracy. And I believe that everybody, um, you know, should have the opportunity to vote. And he said, well, and he was surprised, you know, that I said that. And then I, and I, and then he said, well, I'm, I'm registered. I voted, you know, for Trump and that, you know, and we actually talked for a little while about other things. But, um, so I've never had anybody who was, uh, who was a, uh, uh, Trump supporter, you know, want to be registered by me. And, and, and if somebody did, of course I, I would, I, I would do it. So my my second uh, and for me more important question, I guess, that I I wrestle with a lot is um, I kind of have a feeling that, you know, if we all could develop better listening skills, listening to ourselves, listening to others, and communication skills, we would all shift some direction. Yeah, I don't think it's so useful necessarily to have a single axis, right to mm-hmm. left or blue to red or whatever, and that we would all come towards you know a forty-seven point balance of, or something like mm-hmm. that. You know, I, th- I think it's multi-dimensional, multicolored kind of a thing. But I'm curious. You have goals, and yet um, you know, if everybody communicated perfectly, they wouldn't necessarily come towards where I am, or yeah. not necessarily to where you are. And and you said you believe in democracy more than specific right. right or left or Democrat or Republican or whatever. And I'm just curious to hear some some of you your thoughts processing some well, of these questions. Well, it's been a conundrum for me, and I've talked you know a fair amount about it with Gil Fransdale, you know, who um, and who's uh, uh, because in some ways this is where doing canvassing and voter registration is different from the standard chaplaincy, you know, where you're at somebody's bedside or, you know, you're leading a meditation group in a prison. And um, I, um, I would say that I am not entirely comfortable with that, you know, in that role because there's a part of me which would like to not be so directive with people, but would be drawing out what matters to them 
and not necessarily, you know, uh, uh, be always, you know, kind of, uh, uh, moving them in the direction of, um, of, uh, you know, making a commitment to vote Democratic in the primary. So it's, I would say it's an area of, um, that I'm still examining and that I'm not entirely comfortable with, but, um, I've, I've decided to, uh, you know, do it anyway because I do believe, you know, I, I do believe that, that if, that, that, um, they would be voting out somebody who is doing detrimental, you know, uh, thing, you know, who's, who's detrimental to my life and their lives. Uh, um, so, um, it's a really good question. And it's where political canvassing doesn't exactly dovetail with, uh, a chaplain, you know, with, uh, Chaplaincy, um, and you know, and and I and I have struggled with it, mm-hmm. and I am still struggling with it. So I'm glad you asked. Yeah, and right. and me too. You know, yeah. just uh, given that um, one wants to be open to all perspectives. Yeah, that um, I really want to respect all perspectives. Right. And at the same time, if there's a if there's something that seems hurtful, that seems oppressing, oppressive to marginalized people, that line um, that if you're neutral in the face of oppression, you're you're really siding with the aggressor. Is that is the one that uh, I, I try to dance between really holding a dharmic perspective, not making someone wrong, but just standing up for what's good and true and um, supportive and bringing more safety and consciousness into the world. And that's a very tricky line yeah. being in... In this role, not yeah. not to um, abuse it, mm-hmm. and to be as mindful and and sensitive and um, inclusive as possible. Uh, but as the Buddha said, you know, if if somebody is doing something harmful, it is right action to stop. The suffering. Yeah. So um, that that's the that's the dance that I do. Yeah. I was just going to add. I I like the the saying that democracy is the worst possible form of government, except for all the other options that have been tried from time to time throughout the history of the human race. <laughs> and you know, democracy, internal democracy, is pretty messy. And democracy on the board of Spirit Rock. I've heard a few stories from James here on Thursday nights that, you know, it's not all just a beautiful, we sit and we, we, we breathe a few times and then everybody votes unanimously. (laughs) It's people. Yeah. Yeah. We can just finish up and Ernie. 
Hi. Well, thank you. Um, I think this takes off from that point, but isn't it seems to me that it's useful to separate the ideas from the person. And, I mean, if someone's going to have the ideas of white supremacy, they're not going to ever convince me to be open to those ideas. I'm assuming the Dalai Lama feels the same about the destruction of his temples, of Tibetan Buddhist temples in Tibet. No, it's not okay. But it doesn't mean that you have to dislike the person who has, uh, in my opinion, which I'm not going to give up, been misled Mm -hmm. into that point of view and that that point of view causes great harm not only to the people it oppresses but to the person, to the oppressor. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm assuming that's, I know the project that you're talking about and all my friends who are out there, they're going out with that goal. There's no question about it. Mm -hmm. They're not going out just out of curiosity as to how people feel in Tracy. They're going out because they want the election to result in something different. So separating the person from the ideas seems useful to me, but any comments you would have? Yeah, well, one one is uh, a basic principle around forgiveness, that when you're forgiving an unskillful or hurtful action, you're not forgiving, condoning the action. You, uh, in my mind, are forgiving the ignorance in the mind that would perform that action. And it takes a while maybe to digest and process the hurt and the pain and the anger and all the, the feelings that come up. But if you can separate the action from the state of mind and the, the confusion and the ignorance in somebody who would willfully harm someone else, there's a possibility of opening your heart with some compassion. Yeah. Okay, last one and then we'll... Yeah, I think my question is a little more grounded. I've done some uh, tabling for single-payer health care, which means standing at a table with a bunch of literature and talking to people go by, and I'm not very good at it. (laughs) So what I'm curious about is the uh, training that you go through. I'm interested in what the format is and what the content is. And that may be a question we're getting late, but if you get uh, just a little idea of what you do and how you do it in terms of training people to go out there. Um, yeah, well, there, have, there are some groups that have done um, training workshops um, where you do role plays. And actually, the training that I had, which I found most helpful, had a lot of role plays. So... Um, Maybe I'll give a couple of uh, links uh, to James, to James, you know, that he could post, you know, if for any kind of training workshops. But I'd um, I'd say that it's a little weak um, the way it is now in the, these uh, uh, groups that go out in Tracy in terms of um, people who've never done it before. There's not enough. Um, there's not enough, tra- you know, role playing, and so what I try, I'm what's called a field lead, and um, so supposedly the people who are field leads have done this for a while, and so what we do is we, you know, mentor people. So let's say you and I were at a table together, and we're doing something to do with single payer health care. And I just happened to be someone who'd done that a lot and had a, some facility with talking with strangers. 
then you would be sitting with me and I would be mentoring you in that way. So that's that's mostly how we've worked. Um, so learn through, you know, grow through somebody else's uh, experiments and mistakes. And hey, thank you. Well, thanks, Barb. Thanks for coming here. Thanks for the work that you're doing. Thanks for your... 35, 31 years in Inquiring <laughs> Mind and, and uh, all the years in uh, bringing more consciousness into the world. And uh, thanks for inspiring us to put on this uh, Dance for Our Lives on May 12th. If you want, uh, come join us or uh, uh, support the cause. Yeah, uh, and anybody who thinks they might want to do... Um, you know, uh, canvassing and voter registration, you know, let me know. It's not for everybody, but if if you kind of enjoy talking to people on the street. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, I She's could, the one. Yeah, I could, <laughs> I could uh, point you in the right direction. Mm, thanks. Okay, so uh, bring someone to mind who might be having a hard time and send some loving, healing energy towards them. And then sending loving energy out towards all beings in this world, those who are suffering, those who cause suffering through their ignorance or confusion, those who are experiencing happiness, and those who are creating more happiness in the world. And beyond the human realm, all the beings on this planet and beyond, may our coming here together, any merit and fruits be shared for the benefit of all. May all beings know happiness and inner peace. Thank you very much. Thanks so much, Barb. Keep up the good work. Thank you. Have a good week. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.